I'm going to help you out. Romans 8, 31. Is it on the screen? Let me just read it off of here for a sake of time. Watch this. This is Paul writing a letter to the church in Rome. And this must have crept into Paul's mind at some point because, you know, Paul done a lot of great things. Even though Paul done a lot, he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Even though Paul had done so many things for the Lord. Paul is saved. I just read all the, the verses before that. Romans 8 through 30, 28 through 30. Called, predestined, church going, Bible carrying, believing, full of faith, giving. I'm doing all the things. And even with all that, Paul feels the need to put in his letter to Rome that sometimes you're going to feel like God's not even with you. You're saved. But sometimes you feel like God's not even there. Watch this. He says, what then shall I say to these things if, say if, God is for us, who can be against us? Let me stop right here. If God is for me, Paul says, if God is for me, I don't know about you, but sometimes if, it's just just a two-letter word, but if is a big word. You know what I'm saying? Like, if is a, it's a big if. We don't want no ifs. I don't need an if God is for me. I came here from South Carolina, left a on-staff job at a mega church. Everything was going just fine. And God said, go plan a new church. That's the hardest thing you can possibly do. And take your whole family with you. You're not going to have an income. Go up there and tell everybody, I want to do something special in their life. Now, I didn't need, when God said that, I didn't want to hear no if. I didn't walk out of there going, now, God, I know we can do this if. How many of y'all, we want some sure things, don't we? We don't want no if, God. I can't do this, God, if there's an if behind it. But Paul felt the need to throw this in there. If God is for me, who can be against me? I wonder if he was sitting there contemplating, writing his letter, and he was writing, he should have just wrote, when God is for me, who can be against me and be confident? And be bold because he's Paul, right? But I think he kind of has that human emotional factor. And he felt the need to throw that little two-letter word right in front of the sentence and just say, you know, sometimes it's going to feel like if God is for me. If God is for me. I know, listen, I, when I came to plant this church three years ago, right? This, the journey started three years ago. I had a paid staff job at a mega church. And I was traveling the world training bishops, leaders, pastors all over the world, having a good old time. You know, got my salary. I'm traveling. They paying for the plane tickets. It's just a good old time. And then God says to me, I want you to leave your salary position because I'm going to do something new. He didn't tell me it was a church yet. I had some more stuff to do before that. But as soon as I left and said, okay, God, I hear what you're saying, as soon as I stepped off salary in, in that church and stepped out, I was still part of the church, but I stepped out into doing something that God wanted me to do. Watch this. As soon as that happened, I had no income. I had severe anxiety disorder. I don't know if anybody ever dealt with that, but that is the worst. I wouldn't wish that on my enemy. Severe. I'm talking about laying in the floor at night, playing worship music, and just torment, just torment, couldn't sleep, I'll be traveling to Canada and Cuba and come back, and just, the whole time I'm preaching, torment, torment, accusation, 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 because the enemy likes to just accuse you, so you feel guilty, so you feel like God's not pleased, so he accuses you, it's your fault, see, look at you, look at your feelings, look how you're acting, God can't use you, and he accuses me, and I'm telling you, severe, and I talk about severe, no sleep at night, 
laying with my face in the carpet, just, just when I lay down at night, just rolling over in a ball and just saying tell to my wife, just, just hold on to me for tonight because I don't know if I can sleep. I feel like I'm about to lose my mind. As soon as I stepped out to follow God, the enemy came immediately and the battle was intense. Before I ever got here, way before I ever got here, I was born again. I loved the Lord and I felt trapped and I didn't know the end of this battle. I started having fear. I would read my Bible and I started fearing God like in an unhealthy way. The enemy had tried to turn my mind, twist my mind to thinking that God was an unjust God, to thinking that I had done something that couldn't be forgiven, to think that there was no, because I had gone too far in my, in my past, that there was no way he could bring me back. I mean, this battle was intense. And we've been talking about the enemy. We've been talking about why you're called. But let me just, I want to set this up real quick. Your biggest enemy is in your head. Your biggest enemy is in your head. You can beat every external enemy. You can whip them all. But if you don't beat the one in your head, you will be destroyed. You can beat every person more success publicly than anybody has. Name hanging on a plaque in a museum. But you'll be tormented unless you can beat the enemy in your head. You will never be free unless you can beat the enemy here. If you're going to go anywhere in life, you're going to go there head first. Unless you can begin to think on that level, beat the enemy on that level, you're never going to experience it. So during all this time, I had, the big question I had was, is God with me? I would stand up to preach. I remember I went to a conference in Wisconsin. I stood up to preach. I did not even have a message, y'all. I didn't even have a message. I studied. I prayed days and days and days. I said, God, please tell me something to say. And I got up in front of those people, and I didn't have nothing. <laughs> and my mind, and I remember I was in the pastor's office before the service, and I had my head down in a chair. I was on my knees, and I had my head down in the chair, and I'm just begging, God, please, take this, take this thing off of me so I can do your work. And, and the enemy had almost convinced me that I was not even going to be able to be used anymore. So I laid there with my head down. And I got up to preach. And I basically flipped through. The, I just flipped a page in my Bible, found a scripture, and I started explaining that scripture. And it was, actually, it was awesome. It turned out to be awesome. But the point was, I was in such torment that I was asking God to take it away. I did not know. That soon after this, I would discover, it took me about two years, but as soon after this, I would discover why I was fighting. And this is something you should write down. The area that you are being attacked is the area that the enemy is most afraid of. If he's attacking your finances, he is afraid of what you could be if you got that thing squared away. If he's attacking your marriage, he is afraid of what you and your wife could do together if you ever got that thing centered on God. He is afraid of what you could be if you ever got your mind focused on him. And I remember going through these changes, and I remember I knew, once I found out, wow, I'm going to start a church. I was coming home, as a matter of fact, I was on a flight home from Cuba, and a pastor who was from Georgia, I had no connection in Georgia at all. And a pastor looked at me, and he said, you need to start a church in Atlanta. This is about a year and a half before we actually did it. And I had no, no thought of starting a church. And then one day I came home and my wife was sitting on the bed reading a book and she said, she, and I was struggling with this and I never told her. 
And I was walking through the door of the bedroom, and the thought was passing through my mind, okay, you just need to, you just need to start this church. And I wasn't free from anxiety yet. And, and as I was walking through the door, the thought was walking through my mind, she opened her mouth and said the exact words that was going through my mind. She said, you need to stop struggling with this and go ahead and plant this church. Something special was about to happen, but I was in the biggest fight of my life. And my biggest enemy was in my mind, and my biggest enemy made me say, if God is for me, maybe I can do this. I wish I could tell you that I was 100%, without a doubt, sure thing. If you ever hear a preacher say that they're for sure, that means they're about 85% at best. And I was about 15% like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And every step I took, I was confronted with a new enemy. And the enemy continued to reveal to me that I was going the right way. The right direction is usually the one with the most opposition. When you start taking off on a journey, I had so many people that were supposed to come with me and help me start this church. And then they kind of, not for bad reasons, just their own reasons. Uh, Pastor Mike, I can't do it because I got this. Uh, I can't do it because I got that. And I knew, I tried to talk them out of it. And I said, you know, if you're called to do this, you're going to have opposition. And because they thought as soon as, oh, and here's the other thing. Their opposition sometimes was good things. It ain't just the enemy coming against you. It's the enemy trying to distract you. You, you about to move to another city and your job calls you in the office and say, you know what, you've just been such a good employee, we're going to promote you. And you go, oh, promotion. Oh, can't go, Pastor Mike, can't go plant that church. But watch out, every good door is not a God door. You got to be wise and discerning and know when to say no. Don't just be, listen, let me, let me give you a little piece of advice. When you get desperate, you often make mistakes. If you're desperate for a job, now, you can be wanting a job, needing a job, but if you get desperate, you'll take the first thing, and it could be the one leading you away. As a matter of fact, most of the time, the enemy will send the counterfeit before the real thing appears. I'm on something. Y'all ain't saying much, but I'm on it. Praise the Lord. So I don't know if you guys have ever had that kind of attack where, I mean, you got your own version probably of this story, things that come against you, maybe attacks in your marriage, maybe attacks in your kids, your finances, Attack on your mind, maybe, and it makes you go, God, are you for me? I don't know if you're in this room this morning and you kind of feel like I'm kind of numb feeling the worship ain't doing nothing for me. I mean, I have a good time when I worship, y'all. I mean, I tell my wife every week, she said, how was the worship? I said, I don't know about for you. I don't know about for them, but me and Jesus, we were kicking it. We, I, I, you know, like you don't have to say a whole lot to me to get me to thank God for saving me and changing me. I mean, every note ain't got to be right. Everything ain't got to be perfect. But if I can get in a room, I'm telling you, and, and get with Jesus out, because listen, Monday morning, you ain't going to have us in your room singing to you. Okay, you're going to have to figure something out. You're going to have to learn how to worship the Lord. There is power in the worship. And, and I'm telling you, if you will learn how to worship and praise God, your enemy will be pushed back. As a matter of fact, the Bible says your praise steals the enemy. That means it paralyzes him. So, matter of fact, if you're in a battle, I dare you just to give God a praise right here, right now. Because while you're clapping to the Lord, your enemy is locked up. And you are moving forward. Here's another thing praise will do for you. Praise projects you into your future. Because when you praise, you see over the mountain. We're going to teach this church how to praise, ain't we? We're going to have a praise in church up in here. Amen. I don't know if you're in that. 
Amen. So, Pastor Mike, what do I do when I'm in a battle? What do I do? We're going to come back to Paul. But, you know, I, I know a man who had so many battles in the Bible. Maybe you know this guy. But if anybody's an expert on battles, I think it would be David. David. David, boy. David had some fights. Not only did David fight Goliath, lions and bears, David had internal issues. David had problems with girls. As a matter of fact, when they wanted to find out if David was really dead, he was in his bed, they put a girl in the bed with him. And when he didn't do nothing, they said, oh, he's dead. I mean, David had issues. The thing that God loved about David was he said that David was a man after my own heart. Watch this, though. Watch this. Psalm, this, this might relate to some of you guys. Can I get Psalms 13 on the screen? I think I gave you that one. Give me Psalms 13. I'm just going to step over here. Can y'all see that? I don't know. My, my table's in the way. Maybe you felt like this. Let's just read these six verses and see if this connects with anybody out here. Here's David. Now, here, let me set the scene for you. David has already been anointed king. He's like, okay, I got a great future. I'm going to be king. Now, he is running for his life from Saul who is the current occupant in the palace, who David has already been promised the throne. And he is running from Saul for his life. Saul is hunting him down. Saul has an army hunting David down. While David's in the cave, he knows he's called. He knows God loves him. He knows God sent his prophet to him and said, you are my king. You are the new king. But there's a distance between when God acknowledged him as king and when David was going to take the throne. And between that season, David was fighting, running for his life in a cave. And he wrote these words. Listen to this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You ever felt like that? Next verse. How long, God? David said, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? David is frustrated. He knows he has greatness in him. It has already been said. The prophet has said, you are the king. But between that and that, David is having a problem because now he doesn't feel like God is with him. He feels like God is hiding from him. And now his, when you feel like God is hiding from you, your heart can be filled with sorrow every day. Pastor Mike, I'm a Christian. Ain't I supposed to be happy every day? I just got news for you. Some days, your heart is going to be full of sorrow. That's life. God loves you. That's just life. See, God loves you enough not to give you your way all the time. He loves you enough to protect you from things you really, really want to happen. Because he's got something greater. Amen. How long, he says, will my enemy be exalted over me? Next verse. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes or open my eyes. Give me a revelation in this dark cave. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. God, I feel like you have left me. You have gone away from me. You're hiding from me. I'm about to just go to sleep and call it quits. Some days on my journey, I wanted to get under the covers and just pull the cover over my head and just not get up. Next verse. Unless my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Your enemy would love to watch you quit. He'll drive you to the airport. He'll give you a ride. 
Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Your enemy would love to see you quit on this church thing. He would love to see you miss a whole bunch of messages that could radically change your life. You know what? I say this before the uh, summertime because it's kind of funny. The beach ain't going to change your life. It ain't. It, it, it ain't. As a matter of fact, it might even just pause the, uh, the, the evident, you know, something. It's still coming. And if you miss, you can miss one of these words or miss a moment. You say, oh, Pastor Mike, I'll just get the podcast. No. Listen, sometimes there is a moment you can go back and re-listen to the information, but when God does something in a moment, your heart wasn't there, and you don't want to miss it. Listen, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Next verse. I have trusted in your mercy, O Lord. Watch this. This is, this, is my, this is my favorite thing. David, right here, there is a big shift in the text. David says, God, why are you hiding from me? The one, look, God, you favored me. I'm your man. Why are you hiding from me? Why are you running from me? And David is basically talking to himself. But David can't even get to the end of writing his own letter. Then the Holy Spirit quickens him and reminds him. He says, but, can you say but? See, sometimes when, you're, when you have a big if, you have to pull out a bigger but. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you, if you got a big if, you need to have a big but. You know what I mean? We're talking about the word but. But I have trusted in your mercy. The Holy Spirit quickens him as he's writing the letter. Wait, just hit me. The reason I'm doing this is because I trust your goodness. Trust means I don't have to see your activity. I just know you're going to finish it. Yeah, see, everything in life moves at the speed of trust. If I trust you, I don't have to check on you. If I trust you, I can give you something to know to get done. If I trust you, I know you're going to support what you need to support. If I trust you, I know things are going to get finished. And David is writing, and the Holy Spirit says, don't forget to throw this but in there. But, while you're thinking of the if, but I have trusted in the mercy of God, which means the unconditional goodness of God. That word mercy is the word chesed, C-H-E-C-E-D. Hased. That word means it's it's a grace word. It means it's the unearned goodness and kindness of God. It's a Hebrew word. Okay. It means it means I trust that even when I'm hiding in a cave and feel like you have left me, you I feel like you have left me, but your activities are still continuing on my behalf. There is still something in the silence that is going on, even though I don't feel it. When I pray, I have to trust God is doing something. When I had anxiety and I was laying there, I didn't feel anything. I was full of fear, but I trusted that God heard my prayer. I trusted that my father would not turn a deaf ear to his child. I trusted the goodness of God. I had to say, but God. Somebody say, but God. David goes from despair. And the next verse, I love this. I got one more verse. Let me see. He's, he throws his butt in there, and something happens. He says, hold on. Now I don't feel like God has left me. I think I'm getting ready to sing. He said, I'm going to sing to the Lord because I just remembered God has dealt bountifully with me. 
dealt bountifully, that word means that he dealt it. Think about when you're dealing cards. It means God has continued to supply to me his goodness, his favor. No matter if I feel it or not, God continues. He's bountifully when he deals. He doesn't just put it out a little bit. God showers you with his love over and over and over. You make a mistake, even you're running from God. God is sending people into your job to tell you about Jesus. God is putting programs on TV to tell you about Jesus. He is relentless to find you and to tell you that he loves you and that there's nothing you can do to take yourself away from his love. You might not love God, but he never stopped loving you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that I was ungodly and to demonstrate his love, he put Jesus on the cross, not for a good man, not for a saved man, but for an ungodly man, a man that didn't deserve it. He took an innocent man and put him on the cross and he took a guilty man and freed him. And that's what we got to remember, because as you're sitting there wondering, is God with me? What if God is for me? You got to remember, he has already done something to prove himself to you. Let's go back to Paul real quick. Let's go back to Romans 8. Give me verse 32. I got to move quick right here, but I got something for you. I'm going to end this thing. I'm going to end this thing with a good application for you that you can take home with you. Is it good so far? Watch this. Paul says, if, if, that's a big if. And David kind of figured out the secret. And I think maybe Paul might have read David's words in Psalms and said, like we're saying today, you got a big if, if I get the job, if my kids don't go crazy, if, whatever your if is. I think Paul would probably read back on David's story and say, he had an if, but he had a much bigger but. You got you to throw that in there. Verse 32. So Paul takes a page out of David's book and he goes, watch the, watch the text turn right here. If God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul starts recollecting on what he knows about Jesus. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give me all things? How can I say if when I remember that he didn't even spare his own son? Next verse. Next verse. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to land this plane really good. Watch. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is it that's condemning you and bringing this charge against you? He said, how can they bring a charge against me when it is God who justified me? In other words, how can they bring a debt to me that I owe when God has already put more than enough in my account. How can they come at me and say, but you did this, you don't deserve God's blessing, when God has said, but you are doing things based off my account for you, not your account for you. How can I owe you $1,000 when God keeps dropping millions in my account? No charge can outdo God's grace. Your sin is never greater than God's grace. See, grace, the essence of grace is supply. But when you feel like you're in sins, you feel like you have a demand on you that you are not measuring up to and you owe God something. You feel like I owe you uh, some church attendance, uh, some more money, uh, some, 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 you know, I got to read my Bible more today. And all those things are great and good. But your motive for doing those things should be when you think of the goodness of the Lord, you want to spend time with him. I don't walk around bragging to people. Y'all guess what? I, you know, this morning I spent 10 minutes talking to my wife. That's what we do. 
when we talk about our prayer life. You know what, this morning I got up this morning, and, I, and me and the Lord, we just sat around for 10, 30 minutes, and, and God's like, why are you bragging that you sit around and talk to me for 30 minutes? Listen, it should be so fluent, so natural, I never have to tell you because I'm talking to God all the time. All the time. I don't have to tell people that. It's because it is God who has justified me. The enemy continues to bring charges against me. But when he brings a charge against me, my answer is, but look at the one who justified me. I don't have it all together. And that's why I praise Jesus. I don't have everything I need, but that's why I look to the Lord. You're right. I do deserve punishment, but that's why Jesus was punished. I hope y'all feeling free in here. I am preaching something. Next verse. Who is he who condemns me? So Paul's going through these ifs. Who is it who condemns me? Then he goes, because it's Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for me. In other words, as Paul is going back and forth in his own mind, he has got to continue to remind himself of what Jesus has done for him. If you're going to have victory over the ifs, you got to be good at reminding your ifs about Jesus. If you don't, then you're going to be caught up in the religion and the treadmill of trying to perform to get God to bless you. And God is not any more motivated to bless you than when he saw Jesus on the cross. That's all the motivation he needs to bless you. I'm going somewhere. Next verse. I'm having fun today at church. Are you? Who shall separate us? See, this is, I love this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Look at all these enemies. They come bring charges. They come bring condemnation. They come to separate you from God's love. I like this. He says, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness, or apparel, or a sword? And listen, Paul gets all the way to verse 35, and he's basically saying, all this stuff that's coming against you and is creating these ifs in your mind. Is God with me? I got tribulation. Is God with me? I'm physically hurting. That's the sword. Is God with me? I got famine. I need things. Is God with me? I have perilous times. Is God with me? And he said, this is what you got to do. He said, don't forget at the beginning of this verse, he said, who shall separate me from the love of Christ? That's really, it's really sneaky because you have to remember that you can separate your love from Christ. You can fall out of love, Right? But God cannot fall out of love with you. That's why the Bible says we love because we were first loved. We know love because he is love. And as a matter of fact, there's nothing you can do to take yourself out of his love. Now, you can stop loving God. Stop serving God. You can't make him not love you, though. You can hate him. You can wish things had turned around another way. You can say, God, how come you didn't fix me, save me? How come you didn't stop that thing? How come I felt like you were hiding from me? And God said, I love you with a perfect love that cannot be taken. All this stuff can't take it. Let me go to the next verse. These, these verses are just so rich, man. Oh, my gosh. Paul said, when I consider these charges, these, condem- these condemnations, these accusations, these troubles... It causes me to say if, but it cannot be compared. The if cannot be compared to what God has put generously on my account. Verse 38. His conclusion, after all of that, his deliberation with himself and to the church of Rome. Here's his conclusion. You got verse 38? Here we go. Paul said, after I think about all of the goodness of Jesus, somebody say all of the goodness. All of the goodness. 
After you spend a minute, stop thinking about your problem for a second, because I know we have trouble, tribulation. Paul is acknowledging we do have issues. But he says this. He says, after I consider all of that, verse 38, I compare Jesus' generosity towards me and his love towards me. He said, now, if you weigh it out, now I am fully persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, he's taking it up a level. He's not, he, now he's not even saying earthly tribulation. Now he's talking about angels, principalities, these are all spiritual things. Powers in the universe, not things in the present. Listen, some, sometimes people say, Pastor Mike, what if I get to heaven and then I mess up again? He said, no, 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 you don't understand my love. It's like this. Not today or things to come. Nothing. Can separate. He said, now I'm persuaded. Give me the next verse. Verse 39. Not height, not depth, or any other. Paul is making it plain. I'm telling you, he's making it plain. Shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen. He said, you might run from God, but there is no power on this planet they can take God's love away from you. In other words, he is always there ready to receive you. When we get done with our pity party, God will be standing there saying, now, let's get back to business. Because I have not let you go for one second. I still got my hand on you. I have still dealt generously with you. And while you're sitting around wondering, if God, you need to take a second. The if God moments of my life prepared me to, to really look in. Those, all those trials and troubles that I, that I talked about. Those things put me in a position where I had to really consider, like Paul, is God with me to the point, this is when I learned a, a whole lot. I studied grace for three or four years straight, and I said, I need to be persuaded. You know, you want to be sure if you're about to go somewhere. You want to be sure. You need, maybe it's you in here in this room this morning, you need to be persuaded away from the if until you get to where Paul, he goes from if to say, never mind. I'm now persuaded. I'm now persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me. Now, let me give you an application real quick. Is that good? Turn, turn real quick to Ephesians 6. Whew, I am good. I'm doing good. Proud of myself. You having a good time? I hope this is really changing your life. I, I, I spent a long time putting this together for you, and, and honestly, I need it myself right now. I, I don't want no more ifs. I don't need no more ifs. If God is with me. When you look at your trouble, it's easy to say if, isn't it? It's easy to say, man, if God would have, this would have. Man, if God would have, well, this would have. And you know, what, you know what the devil's trying to do? Separate you from the love of God. Because if he can get you to believe that God doesn't love you, fear will come into your heart. Because you can't live by your love for God. Can't live by that. Peter tried that. Peter told Jesus, I will go with you, Jesus. I am ready to die with you. I am ready. And Jesus said, Peter, <laughs> before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. You're talking a good game. But let me just educate you on something. You need to begin to rely on my love for you, not your devotion for me. I understand you want to be devoted to me, and that's all well and good. But when you're in a cave and wondering if God is with me, 
you need to remember that my love for you is much greater than anything you have ever done for me. You haven't earned my blessing. I gave it to you freely. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Let me tell you why I want you to know this. The word of God is actually a weapon, an armor. I want to read this verse to you, but I want you to understand that when you're in a fight, there's opportunity for the enemy to really do some damage to your life. We have a real enemy, no doubt. Now, I want you to see what, this is what Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and and I want you to see what he says to them. He says, finally, finally, my brethren, so he's talking to believers. Anytime you see the word brethren, he is talking to the believers. He says, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, put on the whole armor, say whole armor, whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, or the word wiles actually means to travel along with. It means, it's, it's a weird word because it kind of means it's not just the opposition, but anytime you hear a good word, the devil will send a contradictory one to travel with it. And the wiles, it kind of means, it means it's a contradiction to what you have in here. Okay? Uh, it's a funny word. The wiles of the devil. All right? Notice he said, because when the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this, he wants him to put in, the whole armor of God. Now, you guys know what the armor of God is, right? You probably caught that in Sunday school, or if you don't, you can read the rest of this later. Let me give you the application here. Because some of us, you know, we're Christians, we're born again, we're walking around, we love the Lord, all of that, but we still feel like we're getting hit. We still feel like we're taking shots. We still feel like, not only do we feel like if God is for me, but now we feel like, man, I am really taking some hits here. This, is, this hurts. And most of it, It's because we have never dedicated ourselves to the word of God and any area of your life where you don't have revelation, you are missing some armor. So if you don't have, for example, the revelation of faith, you're missing your shield. Because the Bible says you take the shield of faith to quench every fiery dart. So when the fiery darts come into your mind, the doubt, the disbelief, the negativity, the condemnation, you're supposed to take your shield of faith. Well, where do you get a shield of faith? It comes from the word of God. Let me, let me, because I got a second. Let me just, let me just touch on this real quick. Did I give you all those verses? Let me, let me see the rest of that, sir. To, to come against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, rulers of darkness, blah, blah, blah. Okay, next verse. That's not where I'm going. Next one. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in, in the evil day. Here we go. Having done all to stand, next verse, watch this. Stand therefore. When you do everything you know to do and you're standing, sometimes you just got to stand. Some enemies, you can't knock them out. You just have to outlast them. Some enemies you got to stand confident and say, I'm not going to be moved. You're going to have to take me out. I'm not moving. I know what God told me. I'm not moving. Having girded your waist with, listen, the truth of the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the gospel of peace. All this is word. Next verse. I want you to take these verses. This is the homework I'm trying to give you. Take the shield of faith. Now, faith comes by what? And hearing the... So all of your armor is word. 
When the enemy comes into your mind because that's your biggest enemy, you got to have word. That's why church is important. You don't have to get beat up. You don't have to lose this fight. You don't have to be taken out. You don't have to walk around ashamed. Come in and get the word. Take the helmet of salvation and the, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive part of your arsenal is a sword, and it's a word. So when you get in a battle and you start speaking the word against that infirmity, by his stripes I am healed, you are taking the sword and cutting that disease away. When you praise God, you are throwing out your praises to the Lord, and the sword, the word of God, is going forth against your enemies. I'm preaching. You don't get this in every place you go. I am saying something. Are y'all catching this? I hope you wrote down Ephesians 6 and those scriptures. I want you to take those. Listen, it's super duper important. The next series that we do on the kingdom, you got to have those words because you're going to be missing armor. You're going to be missing weapons. You're going to be missing things. And your enemy is waiting to see a, a little place in your armor where you don't have protection so he can jab at it. It is possible to walk around with a full armor. Every morning you get up, you should say, Lord, I put on the whole armor of God so that I can withstand the enemy in the evil day. I put on not part of it, God. And as a matter of fact, God, if I, if I have things missing in my life in the word, take me to that place, Lord. You should be at your job reading your Bible on your break. You should be getting word as much as you can. You know why? Because your friends can't help you and your family sometimes can't help you. But the word of God, not only does it protect you, but it creates faith in you. And, it, and your faith and your word is what's taking you to the next level. Some of us are stuck because we just don't have no word. Some of us are getting beat up because we just don't have no word. That's, it's a simple solution. You should go back and listen to every podcast we've put out and everything we're going to do. I mean, church should become, I'm serious, and not just because I'm a preacher, but because I have walked this out. I wasn't always a preacher. These tattoos are not, I love Jesus tattoos. These are way before Jesus days. These are, if I told you what these mean, you would be just so disappointed in me when I was an 18-year-old, 20-year-old. I'm telling you, th- listen, God took me from here to there, and the difference wasn't me going to church. Going to church doesn't make you a kingdom man or a believer any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. You have to go into the church and get the word and get the word and be hungry for the word. And when you leave, you got to meditate on the word day and night. And when your enemy comes, you got to take your sword out, which is the word. And you got to carve up your enemy because if you don't, you're going to stay stuck. How many of y'all want to win your next battle? Play something for me. I'm going to pray for you guys.